Hello and welcome to Fats on Film. I am your host Hannah Ogilvy, and this is the podcast where we discuss all things fat representation in film, TV and wider media. Today I am joined by freelance film critic who specialises in horror, writing bylines at the Hollywood News, Ghouls Magazine, Film Stories, Film Hounds and more. It's Kat Hughes. Hello Kat. Hi Hannah, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Yeah, I am very pleased that the temperature has suddenly dropped. It's it's nice to be able to breathe in the house again. Oh, I know, I know. I I have the window still in the crack, just like the air flow in, yes. but it is a lot, lot softer. And I I was just saying to Kat before we hit record, I am actually wearing a roll neck today, which just shows you in July I should not be wearing this. Should be in my winter wardrobe, but here we are. Um, I just want to point out, Kat, straight away. What are our little little friends behind you? So considering what we're talking about, I have got uh, some Funko Pops that represent uh, a key character that we're going to be discussing. So I've got Mini Dennis Nedry's and Mini Dilopasaurs. Oh my God, I didn't even know they, I mean, of course they exist because it's Funko Pop and they do every, yeah. like a character, oh, a little thing for everything. But I just love it. I just caught them there and I was like, oh, they look so cute. I, so yeah, well, I mean, we've actually gone in straight into it. So we're here to talk about Jurassic Park, 1993's Jurassic Park. So Jurassic Park is a 1993 sci-fi film directed by Steven Spielberg. I hope I don't need to introduce Steven Spielberg to our listeners. Uh, Based on the Michael Crichton book of the same name. And he did the screenplay with David Coop. And he's like an incredibly uh, prolific screenwriter. So he did Spider-Man, well, 2002's Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, War of the Worlds for 2005, and the most recent Indiana Jones and then Michael Crichton, like, again, very notable novelist. And also when I was just Googling him to see what else had he done, he created ER. I had no idea. And um, then the film stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum and Richard Attenborough. The film made over $1 billion at the box office, won all three Academy Awards for which it was nominated, which included Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing and Best Visual Effects. And in 2018, it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as, and I quote, culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. And currently it is ranked as 144 in IMDb's top 250 films. Kat, please let me listeners know what is Jurassic Park all about? So, uh, Jurassic Park, uh, a paleontologist, paleobotanist, mathematician, lawyer and two children get invited to spend the weekend on a billionaire's island on which is resurrected the long extinct dinosaur. But uh, all quickly turns to fear when the power goes out and the prehistoric creatures once more roam the earth freely. Yes. Oh, my God. It's an epic film. I love yes. this film so much. My first question straight away. What is your relationship to Jurassic Park? I mean, I've been obsessed with Jurassic Park for years. So I was, I think I was about six or seven when it came out in in the cinemas. And prior to that, I read the Michael Crichton novel. Yes, mm-hmm. I read the adult novelization at age six or seven. <laughs> I was I was an only child. I did a lot of reading. I was a free reader early. And we were in the supermarket in Safeway. I remember that supermarket, Jane. Wow, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, and I saw it and it was side by side with the, the kids one. And my mum was like, do you not want this one with pictures? And I was like, no, because like, you know me, I can read. 
So I <laughs> sat and read the the Michael Crichton novel just mm-hmm. before the film came out. So I was expecting a film that was going to be a lot more intense because the novel is is a lot more grown up. Yes. And, but I still remember sitting in the cinema there was a woman she was maybe like in her 50s sat next to me during the t-rex attack and she was like fully chewing her fingers like mm-hmm. covering her eyes and I was mm-hmm. just like what's wrong with you crazy lady this is mm-hmm. like this is fucking amazing there's a dinosaur <laughs> about to eat some people yeah um, so yeah and it's just I had the the souvenir magazine that came out which had a map on the last page of Jurassic Park so Mm. for an only child with an active imagination it gave endless like ideas for for play where I'd be like on Jurassic Park and I'd have to like use the map to get around and stuff so yeah this film is like a massive part of of my childhood oh I I love like how deep into the lore young cat was you know and and again it's such a credit to this film like the marketing the fact that you know they did you know these little souvenir books and you know the documentaries that came out of the making of obviously famously there's a shot where you see all the merchandise uh in in Jurassic Park and that was merchandise they actually did for the film like oh it's just so smart but yeah very similar I I would have been way too young to have seen this in the cinema but I don't remember the first time I saw it but I remember maybe the second, third, fourth time and the scene where uh, T-Rex is chasing Laura Darn, Jeff Goldblum in the, in the Jeep, must go faster. I was under my dining room chair, terrified, terrified. And I know I'd seen it before, but there was something, I don't know, that's just a slightly older. I, I understood like the, the actual peril of this scene a bit more than I previously did terrified me obviously obviously the velociraptor scene in the kitchen is one of the most iconic scenes ever you know watch watch this film last night to refresh for this podcast and i had to keep pausing and just being like this is just genius it's just genius uh this film is one of my most favorite films ever made when i hate the question what's your most favorite film because you know depending on what kind of mood i'm in we'll give you a different answer but jurassic park will always be in that top four will yeah. always always be what's your what's your relationship with the sequels I mean the direct sequels and then the kind of revamp we've had recently my relationship with the sequels again for Lost World I read the Michael Crichton novel yes, okay like around the same time as I saw the film I think yeah uh, I'd quite I don't mind too no. I think it mm-hmm. took some massive swings and I liked what the messages that it was trying to get across about um, animal conservation and, mm. and cruelty. And there's, you know, there's like Vince Bourne's character who yes. um, is there to sort of liberate the animals and stuff. I thought it was a really interesting topic to shine a, shine a mm. light on. And then also the the whole thing with zoos and things with the T-Rexes being taken to, to go into a zoo and, and how animals are, are treated there. The third film is just no, it's not for me. Um, <laughs> my husband is is an ardent defender of of three, and uh-huh. it's it just ends. It like gets halfway through a scene, yes. and then they're just yes. at the beach, and, and then the beach. Yeah, and there's the phone. <laughs> I mean that's I don't have a ringtone and I think in part it's because of that film because that yeah. ringtone just goes on so much. <laughs> and then I I like bits of the the sort of requels or whatever you want to call them that have come around recently the Jurassic World series mm-hmm. but they'll never be Jurassic mm-hmm. Park it was one of those films that was lightning in a bottle and no matter how much they try 
it's it's never going to be the same. And the fact that as the series has gone on with the Jurassic World ones, they're all CG dinosaurs. It doesn't feel the same. The yeah. fact that we're talking about Jurassic Park, which came out early 90s, and mm-hmm. you can watch it and the effects are still pretty much seamless to this day. And mm-hmm. that's because it's a marriage of early CGI and practical effects. That's yeah, it makes it it makes it feel real. Yes. You know, six, you know, six, seven year old me, I genuinely believe that we were bringing dinosaurs back in a mm-hmm. couple of years. You know, there mm-hmm. was all this talk about how technically viable it might be to oh, get DNA yes. from an embryo. So I was, you know, I was fully putting like velocirap- pet velociraptors on my Christmas list and birthday list for years, <laughs> but they, they never came. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely remember those headlines of like, you know, how actually technically viable is bringing back dinosaurs. And it's interesting because it's like, did you not watch the film? <laughs> did you not hear the the cautionary tale it's trying to put across uh but you know people you know see money and uh, capitalism is a hellscape so cat when we first like talking about you coming on the podcast you you suggested jurassic park before you even saw the kind of list i i give to uh, give to my guests so obviously i hear it is because it's clearly one of your favorite films you love it but when i ask the question like fat representation what film do you want to talk about why did Jurassic Park be the first one for you I think probably because it was one of those films that I watched early early age that had a, a fat character for 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 one and mm-hmm. just the the portrayal of him in it he is mm-hmm. sort of the the bad man yeah. And he's also one of the only fat characters in the film. And I mm-hmm. thought it'd be interesting to sort of look at what that says. Because everyone's talked talked to death about Jurassic Park, but I don't think anybody's analysed the character of Nedry too much. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, when, I, when I have um, spoken about fat representation uh, in sci-fi, sci-fi is really, really big for it, having um, their villains be larger characters so you could look at like Jabba the Hutt in Star Wars for example Um, and I I think uh, it's interesting because I think people forget that Jurassic Park is a sci-fi film because it like when we think of sci-fi we think futuristic we think in Mm. in space and I was like no no no, this is also futuristic because dinosaurs don't exist currently and I'd like it to keep it that way (laughs) and so Nedry's like a really good example of this fat villain and I quickly because I, I did read the book many years ago and I, you mentioned it's so much more grown up and dark and violent yes. <laughs> in the book than it is it, that it is in the film and that was obviously a very conscious choice for Spielberg because he wanted to make sure that children could see this film as well I appreciate it it would have been interesting to see like an R-rated version of this oh, yeah. film though <laughs> Um, so I quickly googled like what was Nedry's description in the book and I do have it somewhere. Yes, so he is described as an obese, messy and increasingly obnoxious computer scientist. So, you know, from, from that point of view, yep, it was written in the book. They've translated yeah. that into the film. It's a key part of this character is that he is a bigger man and some of the tropes we get with fat villainy is uh, that the, their body is a representation of their motives and personality. So when we first meet Dennis Edgerton, and I should say played by Wayne Knight, we meet him on a beach. He is eating. 
It's yes. interesting that it's our first introduction to Nedry. He is eating plates of food yes. on his table, right? And you know, he sees Dodgson. Dodgson, Dodgson, Dodgson come over here. Hills uh, over it, like here. just very crass, like not very subtle, very bold. And obviously, Dodgson says, "You know, you shouldn't say, you shouldn't say my name." Is not subtle because you know it's there. It's very much there. With this scene really does set us up for who Nedry is and where his uh, allegiances lie. And we find that uh, Dodgson, who is working for a competitive company to engine, but is obviously behind in terms of technology and research, is paying Nedry $1.5 million, which is just over $3 million in 2023 money, to steal dinosaur embryos. So then they can like catch up on 10 years of research is what Nedry says. And he's very excited to see the big bag of money. Very excited. The, the laugh he does is almost very similar to a dinosaur laugh. I don't know if you catch that. It's just a really high-pitched squeak. Uh, and then the 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 check comes and he says, don't get cheap on me, Dodgson. When, like, I appreciate you were watching this film for the first time with this lens on. Like, how do you feel? What do you think the film is trying to get the audience to believe about Nedry just with these, like, what, two, three-minute scene that we see of him? Well, he's... For one, as in addition to being to being bigger, he's that obnoxious American. You know, they're not they're not in America; they're on holiday somewhere. So he's that obnoxious American tourist. He's there in a a loud, sort of garish shirt. He you know he's not hiding himself. You know, he's mm-hmm. not a bigger character that is is trying to hide his his stature. He's you know quite sort of out and out and proud. Mm-hmm. But it it is I think, and especially at the time it was released, where fat phobia was just so inherent in in everything that it wasn't even seen as fat phobic it was just this is this is how it is this person oh look at this oh look at all those plates how greedy is this mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. so it it's instantly saying look he's greedy look he's eating all this food he doesn't need to eat a lot of food he doesn't need all this money you know we haven't we don't know anything about Nedry's circumstances we don't know what his personal life is we don't know if he needs the money for something you know he might have you know a big debt he's trying to pay off or a family to support we don't find that out of him all we see is look how greedy he's eating all this so of course he's going to want all this money and look he's not even happy with having like a million dollars he wants this man to pay for all this food you know he's yeah. he's eating all this food he can't even he's not even going to pay for it so it it hammers quite early on that Nedry is is driven by by greed and also that he's quite careless and clumsy yes. you know he's he's not doing the you know the sort of like super spy secret meeting he's he's not following the rules he he's quite mm. willing to just he's self-serving like he doesn't mm-hmm. care about Dodson he just wants his money and he wants to he wants to go yeah, I th- I think what you say there about him not like filling the super cool spy thing, you know, like meeting on the park bench and like slide a newspaper across the thing. He's not doing any of that because Nedry isn't cool. Nedry isn't smooth. Nedry also is a you say, like to echo your words, self-serving, one-track mind. I just want to get this money. I don't care who I hurt in the process. And again, we're going to get into that because of his actions cause all the, all the shenanigans to happen. But yeah, I, he, he is very like, very, I am 
the only person who could look after myself is me. I can't expect Dodgson to look after me. You know, even with you got to meet my guy at the East Stock and he's like, well, you've got to make sure he's there because mm. I can't, you know, that's on you, man. I'm going to do my bit. My bit is getting these embryos out of here and he's got this system set up so he has a 20 minute window in order to do so. But you've got to do your bit. Can't rely on John Hammond as we're going to get into because Hammond doesn't like him that much. He judges him constantly. In fact, not only that, but like, you know, Ray Arnold judges him constantly. So he's in like a kind of a very toxic work environment as well, which is part of his motivation. So we get introduced to Nedry here and then we then meet him again when we actually get to the park and he's in the control centre. I love the set of the control centre. It's so cool. There's just something so like, it's so dark. It's one of those, um, I don't know, I can imagine like a really secure room. And I know the uh, Hammond and uh, Malcolm end up in like the bunkhouse, like in the safe house part. But even that feels super secure, like the control center, like a little little shelter. And uh, we see (laughs) Nedry's desk. He's on his chair. He's lounging. And there are just wires everywhere hanging above him. There are papers strewn all over his desk, multiple computers, candy wrappers soda cans crisp packets i think he's actually drinking a can of pop when we first see him in the control center we again we kind of realize oh he's like the kind of it guy you know Mm. and i'm thinking like we're in 1993 like how these are old computers like how understood is it during this time and i think again we see this kind of generational difference between john hammond not fully understanding the the importance of the it for this park to work and then nedry constantly telling him like i'm being underpaid for this job like i the, the cheapest bid for this work um you know this is hard work and john hammond says like you know well I'm not going to get into another debate about your financial issues. And again, as the audience were like, oh, he's pissed. He's not getting paid enough for yeah. his hard work. And so I guess from a sympathy point of view, where we sympathize there, you know, I think a lot of us can probably relate to feeling underpaid and underappreciated in our workplace. So there's some good empathy going on there. But then we're also like, oh, but he's going to like screw John Hammond over in order to get his payday and the film has set up John Hammond to be a likable if not um someone to be suspicious of kind of guy so you know when he first meets John Hammond I'm talking about now so when John Hammond first meets Sattler and Grant in in the Montana desert he um he I find it really interesting such an interesting detail the way he changes his language to better align to their American so when he says like schedule I mean schedule and there's another scene where he's talking to Sattler with the ice cream and he says oh Mary um carousel and it's just that really interesting uh code switch to make him more relatable to the Americans when he is is interesting because as a Scottish person uh Richard Attenborough's accent is what me and my partner it's called posh Scottish right (laughs) (laughs) which is very very enunciated very like clear diction posh Scottish accent so it's interesting like you know he makes these changes again to make himself more relatable 
But then he won't do the same for Nedry because Nedry, he doesn't see Nedry as a tool that needs to be used for him like he sees Grant and Sattler. He needs Grant and Sattler to be on his side. Nedry's like, you know what? These are your problems, mate. You've set up everything. Everything works fine. We've got the tour going. I don't need to pay you anymore. I, as much as the film is setting up Nedry to be the human villain of this film, I really sympathize with him here. I mean, you know, we all want to be paid for our work. We all want to be appreciated. And you've got this old guy, you know, going at you. Like very, de- you know, and it even says like, thanks dad for his like speech about hold, hold people accountable to their mistakes. Like this is the workplace, John, pay your people. Yeah. But I see, I, I know what you were saying about how there's a sort of sympathy for, for Nedry, but I kind of feel that that's more of a modern audience sympathy for Nedry. Ooh, I kind of yeah. feel that again, back in like the late, I mean, the late eighties and that was all yuppie mm. culture, you know, you had to do whatever you could for your job, you know, above and beyond what was expected of you. And I kind of feel that Hammond's comments were originally meant to be seen as, oh, what? He won't even do his job. Like, mm-hmm. what is wrong with this man? So I don't necessarily think it was originally intended to open up any lines of sympathy. I think it was just supposed to highlight that he's, t- oh, he's terrible at his job and he's whining he's whining oh no poor me I'm working in a park with dinosaurs and uh, I'm not being paid enough money I kind of feel that that was the the intention with that to further perpetuate him as a villain but you're right when you watch yeah. it now it's like well that's exactly what's happening in the world right now you only have to look at the movie industry with the the mm-hmm. writer strikes the strike that, yes. you know that is what is happening Nedry was just a sort of a, an early example of the the downtrodden employee that goes to extreme lengths because he's not being paid his worth i mean that island is a big island there's a lot of it infrastructure and he's what the only one like yeah. arnold arnold can work a computer but arnold is there for for other reasons i know that yes. there's some other employees that get sent to the boat but none of them seem to really work in the control room they're all in the the hatchery with with wong so it's yeah mm-hmm. it I mean, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of what we're doing, you know, maybe Elon's watching it for inspiration and, you know, there's just like mm. one solitary person sat in some control room somewhere programming uh, Twitter and the like. <laughs> yeah, this is like something to base on, like a 30-year-old yeah. film's IT infrastructure is absolutely yeah. how we base a Well, Jurassic Park was running fine with one person, you know, so why can't I? <laughs> it was fine until he got greedy, Cat. Yeah, yeah exactly, all- exactly. Yeah. Nedry's appetite could not be satiated but you're so right I mean I you're totally right to add that nuance on this is 30 years ago this is like everyone wants to be the boss you know we have middle America you know you got a single income family but they can afford like a four-bedroom house this is very much that time right but now I'm looking back going like this man is underappreciated his time like (laughs) so yeah I'm so I'm I'm on team Nedry at the moment um (laughs) that might change it's just so sad, I think, in in hindsight, and again, appreciate three, 30 years distance to see like this 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 actor, Wayne Knight, has has his body is being utilized to show all these really negative connotations. Um, and actually saying that, there was a quote from Wayne Knight that I found. So so Wayne Knight was cast in the role after Steven Spielberg saw his performance in Basic Instinct in 1992. And then Knight described the shoot as a miserable experience. Quote, 
I'm sliding down things. I've got mud all over me. I'm soaking wet. I'm five billion pounds. I can barely walk. Yeah, I loved it. And he laughs. Uh, interestingly, uh, Wayne Knight said this is this is um, the film where he is at his biggest. And uh, that's why he said, like, you know, weigh five billion pounds. He could barely look. He found it, like, physically demanding. And and you're right. Like, when we get into it, when we get further into the story, when he's making his escape, he is doing a lot of physical work. You know, he's running up and down waterfalls. He's tying things around trees. I can imagine it being very physically demanding, but not just for him in a bigger body. I think anyone would find that very difficult, you know? And I think it's interesting that he himself um self-deprecates and I, I appreciate a lot of uh, everyone does this don't they you know we're our own worst critics but it did make me sad for him that that's how he described himself um he has had a quite well-documented uh weight loss journey um over I think it's more right in the 2000s into the 2010s I'm not sure like if he's been able to maintain that weight loss um couldn't find a more up-to-date article uh but it's interesting like how he he belittles himself for being the weight he is in this film and then the film is also belittling yeah Nedry for his weight and I, just uh, from a human to human level I find that really sad yeah no it definitely is never good when you're sort of looking back and describing yourself as weighing like five billion pounds yeah it's, it's just nasty yeah yeah there's self-love self-care uh, so, so again, we kind of go back to Nedry's desk. They say it's, bit, you know, it's very cluttered. And again, this is like a, this is the representation of who Nedry is. Nedry is a messy person. Going back to what we're saying, he's not very cool. He's uh, unabashed by, you know, social etiquette. You know, he he's going to have all of his like uh, candy wrappers strewn all over the place. Um. What's interesting on his monitor, he has a like a woman, a model in yeah. a bikini. And this is something we talk a lot about in this podcast, Kat, which is this idea of like um, fat sexuality. And most recently, um, I spoke with my guest, uh, Caitlin M. Cairns, on 10 Cloverfield Lane. And in that film, we've got John Goodman, who is our villain, uh, Howard, and he's also a paedophile. And I spoke about how often in fat... F- um, sorry, I guess it is fat film. Fat cinema. That's a t- that's a term I've just coined. In fat cinema, we see that a lot of male characters fall into like the sexual perversion yeah. category, and here we get it again. This idea that like on his work computer, he has a woman in the bikini. Like how how inappropriate. Yeah, and in a Spielberg film, you know, it's a children's film. Yeah. Yeah, they felt the need to to stick that in yeah. to a family film, just again, to make him seem completely reprehensible, like yes. they say, in the workplace, on his computer, for everyone to see. There's children visiting that park, you know, the Hammond's the- grandkids, they could easily be in there, they could see it, you know. Well, when Lexi gets onto the computer to set up the visitor centre again, it's there, you see yeah. it on the monitor, so she absolutely sees it. And you know, I'm not trying to be a prude or anything, but it's more the connotations it brings. So this idea that this man is like, you know, perverted, he has to have, like he has to have, like it's like he thinks it's appropriate to see this woman in a bikini at his workplace at eight hours a day or however long he's working there for. And it's like, that's not appropriate. Where again, we've got other fat characters to do the same thing. And I, I know I bring up these examples every time, but it's because it, 
it's just it, they're they're really good ones that people like um latch onto but like kevin from the office there's a line in there where they had to throw out his work computer because of all the porn on it like this is the same trope it's yeah. just in different genres and so i was re- when i saw that i was like oh god it's there again god damn it like i just want like fat men to be treated like with respect when it comes to sexuality but apparently that's really hard to find at the moment Nedry then decides he's going to enact his plan and we understand that like he's got a guy waiting at the dock who's going to take the embryos in the awesome prop of the of the shaving cream <laughs> oh how much did you want that prop it's so cool yeah I mean sorry James Bond you can have all the gadgets and that you want but you haven't got like a shaving foam thing that you I mean that's the kind of thing that you know in in this day and age you used to sort of sneak into a festival your you, <gasps> you beer without paying isn't it it's one of those sort uh, of like early examples of, of that sort of thing yeah absolutely absolutely uh, you know what you've got a business idea right there <laughs> Jurassic Park themed <laughs> alcohol sneaker in <laughs> containers <laughs> I would buy one in a heartbeat sets this up by saying to um, Arnold, played by Samuel L. Jackson, and Muldoon and Hammond, um, I've just got to do like some debugging of some code. So some systems are going to go off and on. It's no problem. He's so nervous saying this. I'm not doing it justice. Anybody want a a soda or something? Uh, Because I'm I'm going up the machine. I thought maybe, you know, I'd get somebody something. Because I've had all these sweets and I think I'm going to get something salty. I thought maybe some root Oh, uh, I uh, finished debugging the phones. Uh, I, you know, I was going to debug, uh, so I did. I, I, you know, told me that, so I, I debugged the phones. And uh, I thought maybe uh, I should tell you that the uh, system is going to be uh, compiling for uh, 18 to 20 minutes. So some of the minor systems, they might go on and off for a while, but it's nothing to worry about. It's just a simple thing. He's very anxious. He's sweating, bless him. He's like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm just going to go to the vending machine. Does anyone want anything? And again, I find that really interesting because he knows no one will question that, right? Yeah. No one's going to question Nedry going to the vending machine again. And I, I appreciated that self-awareness from him of, as using it as, as a cover. And we see that he's set up this system. Uh, I believe it's called the White Rabbit like code he's put in, uh, which is going to turn off the security cameras and, and the secure locks on, on, on the area where he's going to, to get the embryos. Again, an awesome scene of the taking of the embryos, putting it into the into the shaving. The sound it makes, the like... Oh, yeah. so satisfying. And then he starts making his way uh, to the dock. And so this is where we see that all of the systems are going down. All of the the electrified fences are going down. All the gates are being unlocked. And from from a Neji point of view, you know, very selfishly, very self-serving, it's so he can get to the dock without being detected. He hasn't thought about the impact it would have on the rest of the park. And I'm like, is one hand I'm like I get it because that makes sense for his character to a degree but it's such an oversight cat yeah I mean I have to wonder if he's ever been allowed to see the dinosaurs almost and it's like they're just not at all in his mind because he hasn't seen them he's chained to his desk Mm, he doesn't realize the actual danger yeah so he's just like oh yeah dinosaurs yeah whatever and he's sort of like going by some sort of I don't know, like cutesy cartoon image of dinosaurs but he he hasn't he doesn't realize that they are 
ferocious when a lot of them are ferocious carnivores that yeah yeah well again it kind of comes back to this idea of um there's like a nice parallel scene here where earlier in the film Laura Dern's Ellie Sattler who oh my god I love her so much yes. I love Ellie Sattler so much so you know when you were saying how you were a kid running around pretending you were in Jurassic Park um so when I was a kid I would wear shorts and a tank top and these little boots and I would pretend I was Ellie Sattler running around jumping off of trees like you know the bit where she um at the very very end where the the skeletons drop on them and she like yeah oh powers i would do that all the time oh god i just love her so much <laughs> icon um but yeah when ellie sattler it mentions john hammond like you have plants in your foyer which are poisonous but you think they look good that's why they're here and then you see dennis nedgery when he meets and you're gonna have to tell me what's the dinosaur called when he meets that he meets a dilophosaurus a dilophosaurus when he meets him he doesn't see the inherent danger he's like oh you're like a cute little you know chicken like a grown-up chicken yeah. you're cool and again it's like not appreciating the danger right in front of you and again it's the ego of human we think we're you know we're the top of the the um the what am i trying to say top of the food chain that's what i'm trying to say and yeah you know, he's trying you know you're stupid like here's the stick go and yeah. again it, it, it doesn't work because this is a dinosaur and you are food Nedry. you are food so he crashes yeah meets our dinosaur falls slips gets muddy he loses the shaving cream can and then the what, what's it called again dilophosaurus yes oh my god oh, the spitter they, they also like the colloquially is known as a spitter oh thank you so much thank you so much <laughs> in my head i'm like this word will not stick in my brain um uh, yeah the spitter um you know manages to get into the jeep and and eats him you know kill kills nedry that you know what's really sad is like no one in the park even knows he's dead right no one obviously at some point john hammond realizes he's not coming back because wherever he's gone is like on purpose and you got Ray Arnold going over there, disgusted yeah. by his desk. And he says, the slob, what a slob. And again, that is such... As he's like casually smoking in, in the office, you know, chain smoking in there. I mean, very, very of the time. But because Ray Arnold is a slender man, and again, Ray Arnold is described as much in the book. So again, let me just find my notes because I do have it somewhere. Yes, described as a thin chain smoker and chronic warrior. So I I don't know if this is tr- this is correct in my thinking, but I do see them as like two sides of the same coin, uh, Ray Arnold and and uh, Nedry. So and the fact that the book describes them one as obese and one as thin, and then the fact that the thin guy has to be the one who takes over the fat guy's role to like try and save the park and he loses his life in the process too but at least they kind of know he dies i mean in the book i have to say ray arnold's actually john arnold's in the book and he survives in the book i think i think that's right do you know do you remember i think all i could say well i think it might be i think you might write it's been a, it's been a few years since i've read it i think you no know. let me just quickly google because i know Gennaro survives the books as well Mordoon survives no, sorry. So John Arnold does die in the books. He dies in the same way that Ray dies in 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 the. Yeah, Muldoon survives. I've yeah, there my, you this, go. this this is the copy. It's. Uh... Oh, let me have a look at you. Oh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> well worn. 
it doesn't have a front cover anymore but this is yeah this is the original like paperback oh, of Jurassic Park perfect yeah. yeah it's yeah yes okay so yeah so so sorry Ray, Ray slash John does die in the book as well as in the film but yeah still um my point being, so we've got Ray described as a thin chain small car. Obviously, chain smoking isn't is not a healthy thing. But you like you're right, he's passing judgment on Nedry for being the slob. And it's like you've got yeah, you've got a cigarette hanging out your mouth. Like, you know, you're not doing much, but you're literally stinking up the room. <laughs> um, but again, this comes back to this idea of like fatness and untidiness and like not looking after yourself and not looking after your workspace, you know. And I just think like it just feels like every fat trope is being utilised in Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, even down to him being called Nedry, which is obviously an anagram of nerdy, you know, the yeah, big I stereotype, like, especially in children in in mm-hmm. films, is the, the fat nerdy one. Yeah, so he, he really is just ticking all of them off. Like, mm-hmm. I guess it's a family film, so they want to communicate it, it easily. But yeah, this this man is fat and therefore he is gross and disgusting. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be like him because he's also, he's also a bad man. So you don't want to be like him. You do, that's a really good point, Kat. Like he is not meant to be seen as someone who's aspirational. Like, you know, you don't want to be Nedry. You don't want to be greedy like Nedry. You don't want to be, you know, eating more than you should. You don't want to be taking more money than you should like Nedry. Because you'll make, make, you know, meet the same fate. You know, his his greediness leads directly to his fate, which is being brutally killed by the spitter. Blinded first. Blind, oh, blinded first. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did read that apparently in the, either in the book or the original plan for the film, I'm assuming it's probably in the book, he is decapitated. And Wayne Knight was upset that they weren't going to do that in the film because Spielberg wanted to keep it PG-13. So I'm like... Yeah. I mean, okay, like it's brutal. It's a, like again, the book is not playing around. The book is like you are going to lose your head if you. Yeah, if you... So, so when I the first time so I saw Jurassic Park twice in the cinema, and the first time I went, I did not watch the Dilophosaur scene. I shut my eyes because I'd read the book, and in you... the book, the the Dilophosaur is much bigger in in the book. Oh my god! And okay. it does it it dismembers it it dismembers him and then yeah, I think you're right it, it decapitates him as well. So I was expecting something really intense. And I think there's um some sort of like acid in the in the venom that it spits out, which is what blinds him as well. And oh. being sort of like not sort of around the same time also somebody that was like big into the alien franchise you know mm. I was terrified of any thought of acid because you know I saw mm-hmm. what it could do mm-hmm. um but yeah I did it took me to my second attempt of watching the film to sit and actually open my eyes to the Dilophosaur attack because I was mm-hmm. expecting something a lot more gnarly and, and grisly than I got because I know I was reading adult fiction I didn't realize that there was such a thing and I was watching like adult films so I didn't realize that there was <laughs> was such a thing as a rating system as such that would protect me yeah, but it was yeah. only I, I sort of scrutinized that souvenir magazine was like oh no I don't think it's as bad as a book and then like I was asking my mom like what happened in it and then I, I was brave enough to watch it so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I, I kind of understand a bit of nice disappointment there because it would have been like a really intense death had they yes. the uh, higher rating yeah a hundred percent and I think like you know in film, we want to see uh, consequences to actions, right? We want to, we want our villains to get 
their comeuppance. Which I, you know, I, I'm absolutely same. Like I could get really bloodthirsty when I see like a really nasty character. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait for you to get meet your demise. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I guess with this, uh, looking at it with the lens of fat representation, you know, even even at the beginning of his death scene, when he slips down the waterfall, you get like a sound effect. You get like a whoop, like, a, like he slipped yeah. in a banana, and I'm just like, is this? Well, that's clearly for laughs, right? And it's just this real sinister, like, we're going to enjoy this. We're going to enjoy the fact that, like, he's uh, underestimated these dinosaurs that he's let loose. We're going to enjoy the fact that this dinosaur who is hundreds of millions of years ago can outsmart this nerd, right? This fat computer nerd. You know, he doesn't have any um, survival instincts or, like, outside skills he's an indoors man so we're going to watch this all play out and again this film has a really interesting relationship when it comes to technology and so I think again we've got like you know the computer man the high-tech futuristic man being defeated by you know this hundred million year old dinosaur you know where's your computer now Nedry where's your 1.5 million dollars now Nedry doesn't matter because the dinosaur is like your food and I'm going to get you and yeah you're meant to enjoy it and as the as the scene ends and it kind of pans away from the rocking jeep and you hear Nedry screams right they're quite harrowing I find and you see the shaving cream canister being plumped over by all the mud and hidden forever and you know the bad guys don't win here the bad humans don't win here and we're meant to rejoice oh yes okay so one of the villains is down because even even though the velociraptors are obviously meant to be our like dinosaur villains there's also a sense of like you don't want them to die either you want them just you just want the humans to get away (laughs) get away but leave the velociraptors alone leave the t-rex alone so again this is really interesting moral like conundrum happening in your head as you're watching it but that moral conundrum doesn't go towards your evil human character you just want revenge there and that's it it's interesting how we allow more humanity or more care, or more empathy towards our dinosaurs than we are allowed towards Nedry. Yeah, and also the fact that the, as much as he is this IT man, who's he's obviously done a lot of the infrastructure, but he's still seen by those around him as being stupid. You know, there's that yes. whole thing about even Nedry wouldn't be stupid enough to to uh, mess with the raptor pen, would he? It's like even, even then they're still being belittled as like yeah. oh even he's not that stupid is he so there's obviously been conversations about like how insufferable and dumb they see him as being as well uh-huh. but this is this is the idea of like they don't appreciate what he has yeah. done and again going back to your 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 point you raised earlier but like does has he ever seen these dinosaurs you know i just mentioned there like he doesn't have like you know he's not like clearly not like an outdoors man so has he even like seen them does he does he under he doesn't does he understand the inherent threat these creatures pose? Have they told him? You know, has Muldoon sat him down going like, you know, like I can imagine, you know, he's meant to be like the the gamekeeper from Ken, the Kenya Safari Park that Hammond owns. Why has he not sat him down going like, this is not, this is not a play zoo. This is not a petting zoo. This is serious. And I need you to be 
understand the ramifications of any, if any of these systems go down like just tell the man <laughs> like but I, I don't but i don't think that sorry, he i don't think that he is deemed important enough to tell because Mordun does yes. have he does he does have those conversations with with um Sattler and Grant you know he's talking about you know yeah you know, if they ever got in, out into the wild they'd be lethal and you know yes. he does have those conversations with them but with Nedry is I think he's just seen as so low priority oh yeah you just like tap some keys and yeah do whatever despite yeah. the fact that he is literally the only person holding the park together literally. so I think that yeah they, they just never bothered because he wasn't deemed worth saving in a way mm. Another little uh, Easter egg, I guess, which I find really interesting, especially because I've just done an episode with um, a friend of the pod, Harriet Fletcher, is uh, Elvis. So as Ray's trying to work out how to break into this this uh, code that Nedry's put into into his computer, you get the Nedry head on the Elvis body. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh. You didn't say the magic word. Uh, Please! Uh, uh. It's such a good line. But again, you have a, a, a famous person that we, are, unfortunately, a lot of us remember to be a fat person. Uh, you know, someone who uh, let themselves go, and I'm using air quotes, the the tale of Elvis, especially in the 90s, right? So this is 93. That means that Colonel Tom Parker, uh, Elvis's insidious manager, is still alive. Mm. Uh, and his his legacy has been completely tainted by by what Tom Parker did to him, and you know everyone like oh he died on the toilet. All these kind yeah. of rumors will have been one hundred percent the forefront of people's minds when they thought of Elvis. And again, it's interesting that Neji uses Elvis here as like someone who dies, you know, a death that is mocked. And Nedry dies a death, which the film wants you to kind of like rejoice in and have fun with and have a little silly banana split sound with. I just think it's a really interesting choice. Yeah. And especially in terms of the treatment of death, because the the other big death that you sort of sort of see is Gennaro, who, yeah. who does die on the, the toilet. But oh, yes. But he is, uh, again, he's a, he's a thin man. He's a slender man. Mm-hmm. And as sort of irritating as his character has been pushed at there is some level of empathy in his death that you you're fearful you don't want to see this man get ripped in half while he's on the toilet and you know the aftermath is is sad you know they they find his remains later you know I think this was I think this was a bit of Gennaro yeah this this too yes yeah the the little lawyer character gets more of an arc than than Nedry does and a bit more sort of sympathy and remembrance yeah 100 percent and I guess like in that you know we've we've we know Gennaro to be someone who's very money-driven, very, you know, like, you know, things like we could charge 2000 10000 a day and people will pay it, you know, doesn't, wants to make this a very exclusive theme park because he knows that's what his investors, and I guess I'm sure he gets a bit of a cut too, being the lawyer, you know, he's also greedy, right? Yeah. He's all, he's <laughs> the blood-sucking lawyer, you know, he's not a um, likable character, but yet at least there is some kind of like, when when Ellie and Muldoon find 
find parts of him that you know they, they're appalled they're like oh yeah. no like he didn't he didn't deserve to die yeah. you know he's an arsehole we didn't deserve to like meet a horrendous fate like that and yeah you're right it's meant to be seen as a joke like he's on the toilet and again like his his arc being that he's ran away from the kids yeah you know he ran away because he couldn't defend them and i again obviously the most fantastic scene the t-rex scene when when they're in the jeeps you know Genera runs, but interestingly, uh, Gran and Malcolm take a while to to actually bring the action. You know, they are frozen with fear. And these are meant to be our heroes. So again, it's this interesting, like, okay, they don't run away, don't get me wrong, but they take a good minute before they decide on what to do. And it's just that comparison between, like, our male leads. Like, okay, so Genera is the coward because he's ran away, ran to the toilet. Don't blame him. I'd shit. I'd shit myself yeah. too. I'd sure not blame him. But but then Grant and Malcolm, they they take a beat before they spring into action and get the flares out and start you know uh, luring the T-Rex over. But the T-Rex already got his head. Oh, I should say his. That's misgendering. Her head in the jeep already at this point. You know, I just find it kind like, of interesting. I find it really really realistic because I don't know what to do if a T-Rex started attacking these kids. I don't blame Gennaro. I don't blame Grant and Malcolm either. But it's just this interesting like idea of like male heroship. Like, you have to stand your ground. You have to defend the kids, you know? When I think a lot of people probably would have done what Gennaro did, which was bolt it. Get out of there. Get out of Dodge. And obviously he meets his fate because he, he shouldn't have left them kids. No, but I, yeah, I also like the, the dynamic with, with Grant and Ian in the respect of they're constantly in competition. Yes, yes. To see who is the alpha male. So even in that scenario, mm-hmm. it's not like they're working together and like, right, we need to get these kids out. Like Grant goes in and then Ian's ego is like bruised in some way and is like, well, no, he's not going to be the hero. I'm going to be the hero. Yeah. I can get a flare and I can do the same thing. And he almost dies. Like yeah. his ego leads to his almost demise because he could. Yeah, you're right. He couldn't have Grant. Who and, and I think Alan Grant is such an interesting hero. I oh, I I ask this question to everyone whenever I talk about Jurassic Park. Do you find Doctor Alan Grant hot? I was more of a Malcolm girl. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for, but for me, Malcolm's the obvious one because it's Jeff Goldblum, yeah. and he's in leather in the tropical jungle. I love him. All in black, you know. All in black, is. and those the curls are curling. Those sunglasses. I'm like, oh my god, baby, get it. But when I was younger, I you know wouldn't look, look wouldn't look twice at Dr. Alan Grant. You know, he's a bit of a dad, even though famously he's not a dad. That's the whole point. But he just a little bit da- dad energy. But now I'm older. I'm like. Oh hey, <laughs> hey, Doctor Allegrand, how's it going? So yeah, I, I think as a when I posted this um this poll on Twitter, uh, not Twitter, Instagram, maybe maybe two years ago, and I literally got fifty fifty response. Wow, and I find that really interesting. <laughs> anyway, so you but you're right, like Doctor Allegrand is the quiet one. You know, he's 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 very stoic. You know, he doesn't. It's interesting because he actually doesn't stop. Malcolm from flirting with Ellie because he's just he, like it's almost like I mean what am I gonna do I don't want to be like you know get away from my woman he's not that kind of a guy but then when Malcolm asks him outright like oh is she available he's like man no and he's yeah. like oh oh I'm sorry he's like yeah 
But I mean, if you're dating somebody that looks like Ellie Sattler, Malcolm's not the first guy that's flirted, is he? You know, they've they've been through that. They've been through that issue in the past. Honestly, Ellie, Laura Dern, uh, eternal beauty, a classic beauty. She's stunning in this. Her hair is just beautiful. That feathered cut she's got going on. The outfits, the double denim she wears when they're in Montana with the with the like beige hat. I love it. I love it so much. So you're right. Maybe maybe Alan Grant is so used to like the diggers in Montana hitting yeah. on Ellie. He's like, oh, it's all good. I'm 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 secure enough in our relationship that I know she's she's fine. <laughs> she's yeah. fine. Which I think was one of my issues with um Dominion, where they sort of bought this love triangle back again and placed Granton and Malcolm as mm-hmm. as fighting because Grant did seem a bit more riled up by what's she doing talking to him yes like, yeah you know, I think so I know right. that they yeah I know that they'd been separated for for a while at this point and the film is sort of like trying to bring their reunion back together but I still think it's like well she didn't go for him back when he was like much younger in heart and like dressed in black leather in in the jungle so Mm -hmm. why is she gonna go for him now you know it's yeah you're so so right and I mean I've got issues with the Jurassic World franchise I don't know what you call it requels uh but yeah I honestly that film I don't like it I don't like it I don't like it I'm I will always be happy to see my three on the screen but not like that yeah not like that let's keep and the thing is actually (laughs) tangent Ian Malcolm is a very different character in the lost world yeah and I understand why right you've got this you've got this conundrum where you go well the comic relief now needs to become the leading man so we're going to have to change his personality entirely okay cool but I still like it like I still like the film I think uh, Jeff Goldblum is like just so charismatic you're just on his side you know I love Julianne Moore. Like all this good. I'm I'm totally with it. But we're like, you get to Dominion, we're like, you know, we're 30 years removed from this film, but these characters are so big in our hearts. Like, I don't want to see them get like, I don't know, th- thrown under the bus for yeah. like shitty storytelling, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's been it's been 30 years and they're still circling each other. It's like, you know, things would you know, Ellie's been married and had had kids in had kids. in the interim. I, I am glad she gets divorced though, because I was like, she has to that, that I mean Jurassic Park 3 broke my heart when like and I, the thing is actually saying that I know it's realistic and actually I can't, you know I appreciate that like she obviously wants kids he doesn't so they broke up so she could pursue having kids grand that's actually really realistic and more people should do that rather than being forced to be parents when yeah. they don't want to be that's actually very good representation still broke my damn heart it's still hurt so then when obviously her kids must be older she's divorced and then they come back together and like yeah okay cool and also like i love to see like older love you know like love doesn't stop when you like hit 35 you know you can find it whenever uh but then yeah then you bring in like sexy ass jeff goldblum and i'm like mate just you know down <laughs> like <laughs> leave my babies alone <laughs> and also alan go get some self-confidence from somewhere because you had it when you were in your 30s why don't you have it when you're in like your 60s or however old you're meant to be um okay let me just go back to where i know yes what is positive about nedry i don't know if there is anything particularly positive i think they do Mm. such a big job of of beating him down making him the comedy like you know the the comedy relief the joke Mm. yeah even like down to like his glasses steaming up you know when he's, he's got like to do this. yeah uh it's 
there's other characters in the film that wear glasses. Their glasses aren't seen to like steam up or anything, or they're they're out about in the humidity. But yeah, I'm not sure that they really do anything. I, I get, to a modern audience, he is sticking it to the man, which is something that I think a lot of us wish that we could do with our bosses. But mm. I think at the at the time, I'm not sure there really was anything particularly redeemable about him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, again, I'm coming from a place of a modern audience. I'm also coming from a place of, like, I want to give some empathy to my fat characters. Uh, I think as much as the film doesn't believe so, we, as people living in 2023, can appreciate how smart Nedry is. Yeah. Right? Like, he he clearly is super intelligent in order to create a theme park which is effectively what it is a theme park it infrastructure that can be controlled in that control room and he says with a minimal staff for three days that is not easy to do and obviously like i know he this is part of his spiel of why he'd be paying more money but he's also not wrong like that Mm. is not easy and like you said like you mentioned earlier is he the only it guy like there you know he doesn't seem to have like a team he doesn't seem to have like a lot of different like you know systems analysts with him it's just him and i think like that is not easy and i appreciate Maybe the film didn't think this deeply into it and was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just IT. No one's going to question it. But as someone, I actually work in IT. Like, I appreciate what Nedry is doing here. Mm. So as much as maybe the film doesn't outwardly comment on it because, you know, they play him to be dumb, stupid, food obsessed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can appreciate, and I'm sure other modern audiences can appreciate, actually what he does here is pretty impressive. And I will not let Spielberg take that away from him. <laughs> like, he is at least a smart person. It's interesting because when we first, as I know it's when we first or when things start to go wrong, and John Hammond turns to Dennis and he goes, Dennis, our lives are in your hands and you have butterfingers? Like, what an arsehole comment to say. Like, and again, this is this is the the um the the hypocriticalness of of uh, John Hammond because he's like he appreciates that Dennis is actually you know a single point of failure yeah and yet still mocks him still puts him down underpays him uh treats him like shit encourages the others to treat him like shit like you said there's probably been conversations with when Dennis isn't around about how stupid Dennis is oh Dennis stuffed to the vending machine again what a surprise you know like these arsehole men this toxic work environment like that's not fun and I just think like again I know we're 30 years later and I know the intention of the film was not to empathize with Nedry but it sucks that that was the intention it sucks and as the only out and out fat person in this cast that sucks yeah, especially when you add in that it was a family film because there were a lot of, yes. I think, around that time, films for families, they did have the the fat film. Even something like Home Alone with Joe, Joe Pesci's character is is slightly slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very much, seemed like an agenda that, you know, fat is bad. So kids yeah. don't eat all that candy like Nedry does. You don't mm. want to be like, you don't want to be like him. I mean, thankfully, children's films have, have changed and got more progressive. I mean, obviously you look at, I know you've spoken about it on the podcast before, but like Shrek, you know, mm. in, embraces, you know, the, the, the bigger body beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there was a time, especially around when I was growing up, when 
every kid's film, the villain you could guarantee was going to be like some overweight, yeah, probably slobbish. But even if they weren't the big villain, that one of the henchmen would be like yeah. slobbish and, and overweight. Yeah, it's interesting because um, a lot of the Disney cartoons do it. So, like, um, the villain in, like, Pocahontas is a bigger guy. The villain in Basil the Great Mouse Detective is a bigger guy. Ursula in The Little Mermaid coming up soon. Just a little cheeky spoiler, cheeky cheeky tease. Yeah, like, this is, like, this is so ingrained into us. And it takes a lot of deprogramming yeah. to like come at the same because this is the thing right this is this is the representation we're, we're seeing we're given we talk a lot just in the in the zeitgeist about how much representation matters and i don't think people appreciate people don't appreciate how much it matters when they're not in the body that's being uh picked on you know uh the uh, empathy for whatever reason seems to be really lacking when it comes to cinema reviews and critiques and analysis, uh, you know, uh, bringing up films where they're made for a certain audience, which is not yeah. maybe your default, and people kick off, going like, "Well, why would I watch this? Why wouldn't you watch this? Can you not empathize? Can you not? Can you not even begin to start to relate to like, you know, this thirteen-year-old's plight when she's going through puberty? Like, can you not? Can you not expand <laughs> your yeah. brain? Like, I mean, men just what." some men just not getting like oh i'm not going to watch that film about it like inside inside out no that is the the panda one turning red turning red oh i'm not going to sit and watch a film about like uh, a teenage a teenage girl when it's a big metaphor for like her becoming a woman uh no, but you watch a cartoon you know sometimes you watch a cartoon but you won't watch a cartoon about a girl it's yeah yeah this is it this is it and i again what's interesting when it comes to like women presented in media like again i appreciate this is getting better and i'm gonna like just make a massive sweeping statement so please just apply some nuance but like where we have the male gaze at the forefront of everything like male gaze male gaze like it's not me if it's not me for the male gaze and i don't want to see it women are meant to be inherently sexual so me and my partner were talking yesterday i think as we were watching Jurassic park and he was saying like it's interesting how like someone like jack black um is in like isn't derided for like his weight and like you know he's seen as fun and silly and super talented and and uh just incredibly mobile like the way he does high kicks across the stage like you know he's just he's just a people love jack black right they love him but then they don't apply like that's that that isn't extended to any like kind of like fat female person like you know um melissa mccarthy isn't seen as the same kind of level of i don't know um love and yeah Oh my god, Melissa McCarthy fans! I am sorry if I just shout all over you because I I want her to be there too. <laughs> just saying, at the moment she isn't, and I think it's because Jack Black isn't trying to say I'm sexy, even though he absolutely is. School of Rock, one hundred percent sexy. Fucking go for it, but he isn't trying to be like you should be attracted to me. Yeah. Whereas women, we expect that they are always meant to be like, you should be attracted to me, you should be attracted to me. So that's why you have, like, Melissa McCarthy not at the same level because people are constantly judging whether she's attractive or not. In The Office, Phyllis is the only female character not sexualized by Michael Scott because he can't see her as attractive because she's fat. And it's just, when you have have this constant, like, male gaze versus, like, I I don't know, 
is it a female gaze or is it just like maybe not sexualizing everyone yeah <laughs> like it's really really difficult and and i think obviously that nedry here he's not meant to be seen as attractive he's not meant to be seen as sexually someone you're like sexually attracted to not in the same way that ellie is ellie is where like the sexual attraction comes from you've got like these two men you know being like oh she's mine she's mine blah, blah, blah. and that obviously goes into like the later franchise obviously lexi being the only other female in this film is a child so thankfully like you know there's yeah. no sexuality going on there but i just think it's interesting that like media are constantly perpetuating this idea that bigger bodies should not be seen as attractive especially when it's women yeah no i and i agree but i do like how in jurassic park like ellie is sort of the the love interest or whatever but mm-hmm she isn't like you transport the character of ellie into a michael bay film she mm-hmm. is going to be dressed like megan fox in the first transformers film mm. she is going to be hot pants and low cut uh tank top that mm-hmm. really you know three tights three sizes too small so it's it's nice and tight but she's not she's just wearing like you know khaki shorts and a tank top Love. and, and boots. That, it's it's practical yeah. she's yes. she's she has her hair up in a ponytail she's yes. allowed to wear glasses but what yes. Malcolm and Grant are both drawn to is as they say you know she's tenacious you know she's she's they're drawn to her her intellect and her ability to to convert it it's her it's like her mind just as much as her, her physical appearance that they're drawn to and I like that Spielberg didn't overtly sexualize her and also just props as well for making Lex a tomboy you know as yes. a tomboy watching it it was like oh finally it's not like some kid some girl in a kid's film that's running around in a dress like oh, yes my dress is getting dirty you know she's got a baseball cap she's got trousers on yeah it's interesting because like yeah you're totally right she she gets down and dirty uh she rightly is terrified um Ariana Richards, who plays uh, Lex, Lexi, her scream is one of the best cinematic screams ever. When yeah. she get, when when Grant gets her out of the 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 jeep and she stands and she sees the that scream is just iconic. And I just feel props and credit to her because it's just it, like I'm imagining it in my head now. And I've just got chills through my body. Um, but you're right. Like you know, she's getting involved. She she wants to defend her brother where so when the velociraptor comes into the visitor center that they go into the kitchen uh, you know she she's taunting the velociraptor she goes into the oven like trying to you know pull down the thing like she's she's smart she's brave she's strong you see that mirrored with ellie sattler as well like you know ellie sattler is strong bright super brave super, yeah. um, i am not going in that generator room <laughs> so no way but that's the thing because it's it's the women that save jurassic park it's ellie yeah. going over to the power room to oh. switch the switches and then it's lex sitting in the control room and booting the system up without these two yes. women those men would be lost oh cat you're 100 percent correct yes women yeah. inherit the earth oh yes oh shit i have my jurassic park glass and i didn't bring it up and it has women inherit the earth on it oh i'll have to put a picture on instagram so people can see um oh you see, you were so much more organized because you've got your Funko Pops. I don't think like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other person I want to talk about, and I appreciate people might be thinking like I might be body shaming here. And I, you know what? I take that criticism on. I think that's a really fair point. But John Hammond. So Bishop Attenborough isn't 
the the slimmest the slimmest person on this on this set <laughs> um he is a, an older man for sure and also rich Debra was shorter as well yeah so but there is a little bit of size going on and i find it really interesting when i looked at the book i couldn't see um sorry when i i didn't look at the book i just googled it um i don't know how he was described in the book but again it's that kind of like um I felt like maybe like his body size could be like reference to someone who's richer eating the finer foods in life, you know, yeah. going to the finer restaurants and all that kind of stuff. I thought that might be where if that was a conscious choice, because again, what I read, Steven Spielberg always wanted Rich Attenborough to play this role, even though Attenborough hadn't acted in 14 years. So he came out of acting retirement to come do this film. And I'm very, very thankful. I think he's great as John Hammond. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts. Uh, do you think I might be reaching with, with that one? No, I don't think so. I mean, in the in the book, his I can't remember how his character is described, but in the book, his character is a massive bastard. Like, yeah, he, oh, he dies he? in the book. He he, yes. he gets he gets um, devoured by I think it's the the compies in yeah. on a hill. Yeah. Um, in in the book, so yeah. they definitely switch that character and they have made him like the lovable grandpa and you know men reach a certain age they get that you know the 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 middle spread and mm-hmm. I kind of I think it's it's that he's and he's got the white hair and the glasses and the beard and he did go on to play Father Christmas yes. <laughs> he's this like jolly Father Christmas sort of character mm-hmm. that as much as he is responsible for this through his own ego and carelessness and not giving Nedry money to keep him wanted well, to pay him his work I say I was going to say keep him happy but it's not that it's to to pay what his you know his his worth is yeah he he is the sort of this not so secret villain of the piece but because he is packaged into this lovable grandpa mm-hmm. figure audiences don't don't see that and they're like oh look at Hammond you know it's because he's he's there constantly. He's ignoring so many red flags. You know, John, we need to stop the tour. No, I'll be fine. Or you know, yes. I can't do that. They'll be so disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think he is sort of the the jolly fat man, mm. but he's not fat fat. He's just like you no. say. He's he's well lived. He's <laughs> I love know, that well lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's you know he's he's been eating you know the, the finest foods and that, and he's yeah. sort of let himself go a bit because he's a billionaire. He doesn't have to conform to anybody's standards because mm. he can you know he just pay them all off. He he doesn't need to to look a certain way to gain approval because everybody wants his money, so he can do whatever he wants. That's a really good point. And where Nedry as the opposite, where like he is asking Hammond for that money, Hammond looks down on him, you know, butterfingers, you know, slob of a desk. I know it's Arnold, but still. I don't judge people for their mistakes, but I do ask them to pay for them. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, right. You know, you it's not like you're it's not like you're light on cash, John. Yeah. You know, you got dinosaurs. And again, back to what you were saying about how like he um he does ignore these red flags when they're at the Velociraptor pen and you've got Muldoon coming in. Oh, Muldoon with them short shorts. The short yeah. shorts. Such a good look. I love it. I have said, I, when I was watching it last night, I, like, I do want to go as Muldoon for Halloween one year. I think I'd yes. rock it. I think it looks so good. Anyway, you know, he's explaining the inherent danger of these dinosaurs and you've got Hammond ignoring talking to ellie distracting ellie dinner's being made our gourmet chef alejandro chili and sea bass let's go let's not listen 
to the red flag over here. <laughs> Let's just go have some really nice food, you know? And I'm like, again, I appreciate Spielberg's point of view going, uh, we want to make him a, a more pleasant character, but there are these flicks of of ego, as you say, like obviously the ignoring ego, the constant, no expense spared, apart from it came to the incredibly important IT infrastructure. You know, yes. didn't, you know, we were very tight there, mate. But then also um, a scene which which always confused me as a child. And I remember asking my dad, the scene where uh, Alan rings Hammond in the bunker. The, uh, Mr. Hammond, the phones are working. And then you hear Ellie go, they're coming through the glass. And he shoots and you hear it from Hammond's point of view, just hears gunshots. And he goes, don't. I always get confused at this point. Well, not not anymore, but as a child, because I didn't understand why he was saying don't. So my reading of it now is he's saying don't shoot the velociraptors because they're yeah. incredibly expensive, <laughs> incredibly expensive dinosaurs. And he loves the dinosaurs. But when I asked my dad when I was super young, I'm like, why is he saying don't? Because again, I felt like surely you want to kill the dinosaurs. They're fucking terrifying. And my dad said, oh, he doesn't want the guns going off near his grandchildren and I think it's a really interesting interpretation of the scene <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, defi- it, it's, it's definitely a nice way to explain it to a child isn't it <laughs> I know I know like I, I'm just like I appreciate my dad was probably like oh you know like you know guns are dangerous and you don't want the bullets going near the kitchen and my dad is 100% correct you don't you don't want that yeah. But in hindsight, like, oh no, it's you know, my dad would be like, oh, they want to like, you know, brutally murder the velociraptors who don't know what century it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but 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 then that, um, that is the fleck of like, what are you talking about, John? Your your grandkids are in mortal danger, and Alan and Ellie, who are strangers to these kids. Yes are trying to protect them with their own lives and you're shouting don't yeah yeah i mean the fact that it's what he's he's completely unbothered to a point when his grandchildren are missing in the park because oh well the with with alan but this man that you've met twice and now has your children i mean you've got you've got a, a white man in his 30s alone in a wood with your grandchildren you know that's not that's not necessarily a safe scenario even without dinosaurs thrown into the mix but you're quite happy for it to happen yes exactly and and it's this idea that because he's a paleontologist he knows exactly what to do it's like no he's he's studied dead dinosaurs he's never studied live dinosaurs i feel muldoon is a better person to take advice from this because he understands how animals work right oh but you know he gets it clever get all oh what a death oh yeah. Rest in, rest in peace, Muldoon. And rest in peace, Bopek, because he yes. died shortly after. What was my point? Yes. So, again, you're right. Like, Ellie is so much more terrified for what's going to happen because, again, she, there's, you know, she says in that ice cream scene, like, I didn't appreciate the, 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 the power that this place held. And, you know, people who we love are out there, yeah. you know, fighting for their lives. And he's there eating ice cream. And I know, I know it's melting. And I know he's trying to be, you know, can't waste food <laughs> can't waste his money can he you know well well yeah he's a tight bastard isn't he uh but what was my point going to be let me just look at my notes yeah i think john hammond is an interesting complex character 
in this film a lot I think more so than the actual film even realizes I think just because especially when you bring in the lens of the book as well um and then obviously like his complete turnaround when he finally rescues them from the visitor center and Dr. Alan Grace is like um, I've decided not to endorse your park and he goes so have I I was like oh that's you were literally just saying to him don't shoot my velociraptors where did this change of heart come from John but then but then is that could you read that as he knows that they're going to make it out now and he's thinking <gasps> like damage damage control you know they're all going to go to the papers and stuff and Oh, oh no, my... I don't endorse it. I don't endorse it either. You know, is it? But then he's got his second. He's got his secret second island that he knows about at this point. He oh knows that he's got God. this backup island. So yeah, no, yeah, don't endorse this one. So I've got another one. Oh my God, cat! I didn't even think about that. He was hoping he'd die. <gasps> oh, he's an absolute asshole. Right, I've, I've taken everything back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he, he might not have necessarily been expecting them to die, but I think. Like for the you know the media thing of he can like turn around and say yeah, yeah. no I don't endorse this either but because he knows that if they have to like bomb the island or whatever or go in and kill those dinosaurs he's like well actually I do have this backup island that also has dinosaurs because I'm Which, kind of breeding them yeah. there and then, and then bringing bring them, them over here over. So yeah. it's like Ugh. okay, it, it's like that. You know, I think, oh, th- this tack didn't work for my, you know, for this first business, but I'm going to now set up the second business, which is basically the first business rebranded mm. with with a different name. So there's that aspect, but also he's, you know, we haven't mentioned that he's he's a little bit sexist as well. There's the whole thing yes. about when, oh well, you know, I should really be the one going. What a, a frail old man should be going instead of a, you know, a, a virile young woman. And uh, you, yes. you know, Ellie calls him out. She's like, you know, we can talk about sexism and survival situations when i when i get back it's oh queen ellie but yeah it's like mate um no you're gonna need to run out there like not to be ableist but like you know your capabilities only go so far he's got a cane he's literally got an amber cane like mate you're good look after malcolm we're all good just again i had something i'm so glad this obviously this film was going to win best sound editing best sound mixing best visual effects but the foley of when she's pulling out the the walkie talkies oh i love it it's just like such good asmr for me oh no i just love it i love all the props it's just so cool there's something so tactile about them something we miss i i just watched um avengers endgame for a upcoming podcast uh episode and uh, I mean, uh, you know, just in comparison, this film is 30 years old compared to that film, which is, I think, four or five years old now. Just this film, like, there's something so, like, tactile and, like, real. It's real, yeah. right? It's it's literally real, and you can tell. And that actually brings me to my, my, next, my next point was, so the, the morality tale, uh, or one of the morality tales of this film, is this idea of, like, re- respecting technology. Um, and what I find interesting about this film is this film used a balance of the technology available at the time and they weren't trying to like stretch it beyond its capabilities yeah. or underuse it. And it means, and you mentioned this at the very beginning, it's got this really good blend of practical animatronics or auto erotica as generic says. Yes. <laughs> Such a, such a stupid line yeah animatronic uh and and puppets with with the with the cg and it holds up today you know there are some obvious scenes you know when you 
see the brachiosaurus at the very beginning okay yeah you can tell you can tell that's maybe not the cg we'd expect today but everything else you know when that t-rex first attacks when the t-rex chases the jeep you know the the final duel with the velociraptors and the t-rex they all look so good yeah yeah there, there was no question in my mind that those dinosaurs it was that i think for, for everybody that watched it it was like how has he got dinosaurs in this film? Like, yeah. where did he find the dinosaurs? Because yeah. they're so realistic. Like the velociraptors, they just, you know, still to this day, they look real. And so much better than the, the CGI versions that have come along later, later in the series. Like, I, I 100% agree. And again, like one of the publicity things that they keep uh, wheeling out for the, the world films was oh well there's more more animatronics used in this film than any other film like you can barely see them like you know in the this the scene in Dominion when they're in Malta and it's like at the black market and it's just like little little dueling like dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean they're like in the in the background they're not in the foreshot you're like okay great I'm like I'm really glad I'm really glad that you are utilizing it but you're not seeing it on the screen and I, I don't like how it's a gimmick. Like, it shouldn't be a gimmick. Like, it, you know, you should just be using, <laughs> you should just be using what's the appropriate tech to make this look as real as possible, you know? Yeah, yeah it's like Alan Grant with his head on a triceratops as it's as oh. it's breathing up and down, you know? That's, it's it's just like, it's like he's there with a, a real creature. It's, uh, again, a phenomenal scene that, you know, Sam Neill, his, his face like a child like a child like it's so well done and you got ellie crying like you know you can't again you put yourself in their shoes these are people who've been studying this for their entire lives they obviously love dinosaurs or, or love like you know uh, prehistoric times that's why they're there and the fact that they can actually be with this living breathing creature who's sick as well it's just like you know there's just such a sadness there and like again the when she like gets the torch and she says, Oh, look, her pupils are dilated. And the vet is like, I'll be damned. It's like, are you even a vet? Mate? Yes. Yeah. Like, can you not tell that? Why is yeah, what she what what you know, what what's she been eating? You know, there's yeah. this West Indian oh no, no. Yeah, no, they're just there for decoration. She doesn't eat those. And it's yes. like, well, are we sure? Because Yeah, like are, something are, wrong with her. Like, are you sure? Like, again, why is Ellie the one who has to be the like the the advocate for this dinosaur. Why don't these people who are paid and you know employed by John Hammond to actually care for these creatures? Why don't they care? You know, even like the way um, Henry Wu, B.D. Wong's character, talks about the dinosaurs as if they're just like I don't know experiments. Like yeah. you know, oh, we make sure you know they're all all dinosaurs bred in Jurassic Park are female. You know, we just simply deny them whatever is the chemical the chrome uh, to change the chromosomes and it's just like so like offhand like really flippant really again really arrogant in the way he tells it that i do i have to say like i like bd wong very happy he's been able to come back into this franchise and really develop henry Wu's character because that his character development makes sense because he yeah. is an obnoxious arrogant you know little so-and-so <laughs> in this film as much as we only get to him for like two minutes you get that vibe off him well well played for getting that vibe across in two minutes but yeah like it's just this arrogance that we have over life and again going back to john hammond the fact that they make him dress all in white yes you no know? like he is god god on this island and his disciples like henry Wu, like yeah like oh yeah no we'll we'll just we'll just breed velociraptors like what why are you doing that the if you actually do they have a paleontologist on 
on site to like help yeah. them yeah well I mean obviously not because that's where they bring in Grant isn't it to like get get his seal of approval so yeah. they've just they've gone to like a dinosaur encyclopedia and been like yeah that one yeah that yeah, one that yeah, one looks that one cool look- yeah 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 it, it feels it feels so like everything's image-based everything is just oh the the illusion of safety the illusion of security but it's not real because as soon as you piss someone off it's like it falls like a drop of a hat going back to the 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 masterful blend of technology that Jurassic Park uses are there any other films you can think of which really stand up to the test of time of like how they use the technology available to them at that time Terminator 2 which again (gasps) is and it's another Stan Winston Stan Winston's practical effects just stand the test of time over and over again um obviously Terminator 2 was the one that introduced um the whole thing with the T1000 melting from you know going into like liquid and then back yes. into solid and oh, I, yes I remember seeing some making ofs and to do to do some of those scenes they just had cardboard cutouts of Robert Patrick and mm. they sort of put them next to each other and then they they sped it up in post so it looks like he is is transitioning you know it's it boggles my mind that the whole the thing with like that his hands and things turning into the sharp objects they just feels very real I again I watched that film when I was too young and I spent a long <laughs> I spent a long part of my childhood thinking that Arnold Schwarzenegger was actually probably a robot mm-hmm. so like when there was all this thing in the news about him having that heart transplant I was like but he's a robot like <laughs> like I think that was kind of when I went oh oh okay <laughs> it's not real but it's because it's because the the effects you know that they're, they're, I think Cameron and Spielberg both use Stan Winston's creations in the right way uh-huh to pushing that blue because everything's just CGI these days and I know there's something I mean obviously Avatar you know the latest Avatar is James Cameron and that was a lot of that was mm-hmm. heavily computer generated I still I feel like his CG still has that tangibility whereas something like the Avengers films or the DC mm. films you can tell that it's mm-hmm. it's just like watching a computer game and that's not what I want from my effects I want it to be oh my god that man's hand just turned into a blade what yeah how is this real oh my god there's a dinosaur over there how, mm-hmm. how is this possible yeah yeah that that like that awe and wonderment seems to have been lost in recent yeah. years because it's just we expect it and actually I will find their actual article and cite it properly when I post this, but I'm sure I read recently about how um, the Marvel films, you know, they go out to to tender for their CG effects. You know, they say like, we've got 400 effects and then uh, companies bid on what they would charge for however many effects it is. And obviously then Marvel then go for the lowest bidder, which again is very similar to what happens in Jurassic Park. And you're like, again, I'm a project manager. There's a time, quality, cost triangle. You know, if you want time and quality, or you want it like a uh, quick, t- quick time and high quality, then it's going to cost you. But if you want it yeah. to cheap, if you want it cheap, then you're going to, you know, it's, it's going to take time and it's going to be lower quality. Like this is this is fundamentals of how the world works. And yet, these bigger companies, these billionaires like John Hammond, think that it doesn't apply to them for whatever reason. <laughs> And so then you get 
shoddy CG. You know, a lot of um, Marvel films, DC films are being criticized recently because, you know, you're getting some really bad effects coming through. Yeah. Uh, and then you come back to Jurassic Park, you come back to Terminator 2, and you're like, this is what we could have had 30 years ago. Yeah. Have uh, like it's like it's like we're devolving for some reason, and like maybe there's probably many reasons and many think pieces of why that is. But I just I'm always struck when I come back to Jurassic Park of just how good it looks. Yeah, there's also obviously kind of going on about like technology in this film. We've got Alan saying he hates computers; he's machine incompatible. We have uh, John not appreciating that the IT is integral to the running of the park. We obviously have the dinosaurs being technology, <laughs> like basically running around technology. What is the film saying by having this kind of pro and con against technology? You've got people for it, you've got people against it within the film, but what is the film stance? I, mean, I think it is interesting that I think the only people who really appreciate the technology is Nedry and then Lex. I mean, even yeah. Lex is Lex is belittled constantly by Tim. You know, she's yeah. a computer she's a computer nerd. I prefer the term hacker. Hacker. Um, I'm a hacker. Yeah. yeah. And they're they're constantly because I'd be trying to think where yeah, computers were obviously a thing in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. but early 90s we hadn't yet sort of like got the internet or anything yet. So I think it's I think our relationship with technology was very different back then. And it's sort of seen as it was seen as this thing to be wary of. And mm-hmm. you know, around the same time we got Terminator 2, which was another film that perpetuated that technology was was bad and was really gonna be, good point. Was gonna be the end of us. So there was definitely something around like, oh yeah, this technology is great. It can resurrect, you know, extinct creatures. You know, we could bring the dodo back, we could do this, we could do that. But at what at what cost? Like we shouldn't be using technology to do this and i mean to say it's one of the most successful films of all times and people love it we we have learned nothing from this yeah. <laughs> we've learned nothing from this film yeah it's interesting actually because again going back to what uh ian malcolm says and i am going to butcher this quote um it's uh yeah yeah but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think they should and it's probably the same idea with where we are now with yeah. how we train technology. See, Apple have just announced that big, ugly, like virtual headset thing. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want that. That terrifies me, if I'm honest. I don't know anyone who wants that. And I'm like, again, like, okay, it's great. You could, but should you have? Yeah. Should you have like spent probably billions of pounds or dollars into this technology where you could have spent it in a much more meaningful way (laughs) and and i guess like that is what this film is challenging us on it's like you know there is respect like ultimately it's respect right it's like you know utilizing what you can in a respectful way and honoring where it's coming from and the power it holds and like not delving too deeply into it because again it can like you know turn around bite you on the ass or eat you up depending on depending on what you've created the other last thing i have here uh which is just another another very subtle dig at nedry is obviously nedry's intricate complex computer knowledge makes him vain and prideful because like you know he's like I I deserve more money for this and I you know I've even defended him there going I think he does deserve more money, but then you've got Lexi coming in and resolving it like that. 
So he's like a unique like, system. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know what that meant back then. I was like, sure, Lexi, go off. I mean, I appreciate she doesn't like debug his code that he's put in but she's able to restart this entire complex system <laughs> with a few clicks of a button and i and i wonder whether that was an intentional undermining that like oh yeah nedry's created this like, really complex it system but lexi who's what meant to be like 12 years old can come in and work it straight away and i appreciate obviously it's been set up that she is a computer person she obviously likes computers but still, I, I wonder if it is meant to be a bit of an underhanded. He's not really that smart. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. But then I think it's also an early indicator that children are going to mm. take over, especially when it comes to technology. Like Lex yeah. is a couple of minutes in. Oh, it's a Unix system. Yeah, no, I know this. Oh, I know what mm. I'm doing. And I think it's it's pointing to that children and our technology are going to have a very different relationship to us so what Nedry thinks is is really complex to her is is not so much it's like you know two people of a, of a certain generation the concept of a mobile phone when it like yeah. first came out was just like what I can yeah. do what and then like you can take a picture on this but but it's not a camera mm. it, it is it, it has sort of come to pass I mean mm-hmm. my my four-year-old can she's done things on on her tablet during screen time that I'm like how have you done that like I don't understand what you've like how have you just changed it into a different language I don't know that what setting have you gone into and it already you know she at four year old four years old has got such a, a different relationship to technology that I had as somebody who grew up for a long time before I had a computer or a mobile yeah. phone in, in my house it's just fascinating to see how her generation are with technology you know this this world that has never not known the internet and the yeah. interconnectivity of the world that we live in yeah yeah it's like it's like our younger generations have literally evolved to not just use it but need technology mm. like they know that they need this whereas yeah you're right like we're of an age where we remember the before time Yes. Before the internet was readily available in our homes, you know, we are the last generation to have that. Uh, I believe, yeah, yeah, because Gen Z is like from 2000, isn't it? So, yeah. Interesting. Is there anything else, Kat, that you wanted to bring up in regards to Jurassic Park, fat representation, Nedry? I, th- there is one other character in the film who I guess you could sort of say was maybe, I guess, a little bit particularly like the word but a little bit tubby and that is the obnoxious six foot turkey kid from the the dig again he's he is he's like he's like a mini nedry played by uh the kid who played uh the dream child in the nightmare on elm street Street series um where he was considerably considerably younger but yeah he's you know, he's interrupting this esteemed, prestigious paleontologist who's giving this big speech about look at the raptor and the way that it does this. It's like a bird and like a bird. And he's like, no, that doesn't look very scary to me. And again, it's the perpetuating that stereotype again of the obnoxious mm-hmm. fat kid. Mm-hmm. And the lack of respect. Yeah. Lack of respect to the power that, you know, Ellen is explaining to the group. I mean, yeah, what? First of all, little shit. Like, I mean... I, I'm like enthralled into what Dr. Alan Grant is telling the group. And he's like interrupting, like, man, this is just like a six foot turkey. I'm like, all right, mate. But then, yeah, to your point, Alan comes in with his raptor claw and said how he would 
scratch across his belly yeah while you're still alive like oh it's so dark i, I love it I'm like <laughs> yeah fuck, fucking scared to share this kid yeah. <laughs> but yeah like he you know he makes it a prominent thing like oh like you know like your belly will be the first thing that they will go after because it's like the soft part where all yeah. the juicy organs are and uh yeah uh, he get he gets his he gets you know told off he gets made a you know made a fool of but alan literally makes <laughs> makes an example of this what 10 10 year old yeah. child <laughs> whose child yeah. is that what's <laughs> you are <laughs> but it's like ellie says isn't it it's like if you really wanted to scare him you could have pulled a gun on him I it's know. Like... <laughs> so intense <laughs> but again it's this idea like i mean obviously at this point alan doesn't realize he's going to be coming face to face with a lot in real life but he respects the power they wielded back in the day i want to say back in the day a hundred million years ago yeah and, it, and he's like you need even though they're not around today you need to respect that these animals were incredibly terrifying and they would have you know had you on site you know the the jewel uh the way that they thought and the way they attacked the jewel attack so you're looking at this person over at this raptor over here and someone over here is going to come get you around the side like you know explaining these were incredibly intelligent creatures you can't just belittle them to turkeys child that's a really good point though is it interesting again it you know, it, it'd been great. I mean, I'll have to have a real dive into Spielberg's filmography and see how he does like treat uh, bigger characters, because you know, definitely too with with Nedry and and the kid. You know, he's he's not painting them in a great light. I'm trying to think just yeah. quickly. I mean, he's a little bit nicer in Hook because one of the Lost Boys is is he bigger? He, he's like the cute one. He's sort of like. But again, I think he is driven driven by food. I think he's the one right. that it's like starts the food the the food fight. I'm trying to think. Okay, of Spielberg's were around that sort mm. of thing about the Lost World. If there's anyone big in that, and I don't think there is. Not particularly. Um, uh, you no. Could argue, no, you could argue that like the the tech guy who takes him up in the tree is the Hyde High. Yeah, the yeah, Richard, he's Richard Schiff. Yeah he's slightly again he's got that sort of like middle-aged spread but nothing no nothing more than that the the villains in that are thin men they um, are yeah it's interesting uh, again one of those things where like whenever i talk about these things people will go like right i'm gonna have to have like a you know when i watch other films do, you know does this yeah. does this theme track for their other things do 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 directors evolve in how they represent people because i'm sure they will i'm sure they do like we are in different times uh so it will be interesting to look through like spielberg's filmography because i'm sure others will come up i'm wondering if there are any already on my list he'll come up again because you know he's so prolific in what he's done i wonder if there's anything in ready player one because obviously it's like computers and like we get the kind of fat computer nerd quite a lot in 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 media, and I'm wondering if there's anything in there. But I can't. I've only seen that film once. Can't remember. No, there's so, there's so much happening in that film. There it's is like full there of is. all of those Easter eggs and stuff that you just get like distracted trying to find like yeah Chucky and Freddy Krueger and various other people hiding amongst it. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the um castless no everyone everyone is straight sized every single person i'm just rolling through is straight sized. okay cool um cat at the end of our episodes we like to rate our films based on whether or whether we think 
or how well we think they represent fat bodies and other body diversities and we rate them out of ourselves so out of our five potential cats what will you give jurassic park i mean this is hard because the film itself i adore but if we're talking about it in terms of what it's doing for the representation of fat people it's it's not really doing anything so i kind of feel it has to be like one cat maybe one and a half cats mm-hmm. some of the dinosaurs are, are larger <laughs> so, yeah that's so a very know. good point yes they are <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i think um it's one hannah for me as well uh it's a it's a really interesting point of view this rating system i've concocted because i'm happy there is a fat person getting getting an acting job on my screen so I can see them I just don't like how they're treated and and that's my problem so I'm like that one Hannah for me is like they've cast a bigger person yay for bigger people getting paid but then I'm like oh it's not in a nice way and then you know he dies a horrible death and we're meant to laugh at it and I just think oh okay maybe maybe it's not good where we've had we've had a couple zeros on this podcast but it's because they've had straight-sized people and they're telling us that they're meant to be fat (laughs) so we're like well well no there's an absolute zero whereas here i'm going to extend a one for wayne knight's casting but i hate how nedry is treated and i hate how his body is meant to represent all of these negative qualities that nedry's meant to have yeah no i agree and it's also that thing of it's 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 a family film it's a film that me and my friends certainly certainly played and you know, there's all that like jostling over who's going to be you know sat alone who's going to be granted mm. that and inevitably if you were the kid at school that was slightly bigger than the other kids at school you were just going to get cast as Nedry whether you wanted it to or not and yeah. no kid wanted to be him because of, course. of everything that we've everything we've discussed all the negative connotations of him and yeah you know he's the he's the joke he's you know he 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 he's one of the ones that gets you know got by one of the dinosaurs they just done that it's it's sad for you know children trying to play because we do you know that's what that that's definitely what I did we always like reenacted films and tv shows and stuff and yeah there was like literally no choice if you were like the more overweight kid you were going to get told by your peers well you're going to be Nedry you can't yeah. you can't be a Malcolm you're Nedry you know yes it's, it just yeah. feeds into that phobia more because it's then like telling kids, well, no, you can't do that because you don't look like him. So you be him. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be that character in the playground because like, oh, everyone's going to laugh at me. That's yeah. it. It's like, and again, if we come back to this time and time again. There's a massive difference between laughing with and laughing at. Yeah. And fat characters are more often, like far more often than not, being laughed at. And I, I'm just, again, it removes their humanity. It removes who they are. They're just fat characters. They're just fat actors. You know, these poor, these poor actors who are literally just being used because they've got these bigger bodies and they're being physically, physically insulted. And it's like who they are as people for a joke, like for the audience to laugh. And I just think that's really, that's really sad. That's super sad to me. Yeah, I do like how, in a way, Wayne Knight kind of got some redemption on screen by being in Third Rock from the Sun, okay. where he ended up bagging um, 
the female the female character played by Kristen Johnson who oh, yeah, is this yeah. big tall like Amazonian yes. gorgeous yes. blonde model type and because it, it's about aliens that come to earth and they're mm-hmm. observing things and she falls for his um his police officer Don and you know, it, it deals throughout the series they're dealing with this whole thing of men like coming on to her uh, but her being like but I'm with him like oh why are you with him but I like the fact that you know she she didn't see what the earthling saw and she saw Don for a person so in a way Wayne Knight got his you know he he, he got some redemption by getting to you know, be in an on-screen relationship with this like stone cold, stone cold fox. Yeah, no, I do love that. Good for good for Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> good for Wayne. Okay, Kat, thank you so much for joining me on this incredibly deep dive into Jurassic Park and a deep dive into Nedry. I hope we did the character of Nedry justice. I feel we did. The yeah. listeners can let us know, of course. And can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and more of your work? that's a god that's a question these days isn't it in uh with everything <laughs> burning to the ground uh. um twitter twitter instagram letterboxd i am at gizmo shikari and if blue sky or hive persevere i am just at cat hughes because i was there early enough to get my own name Whoa. and uh i also do a podcast with my four-year-old by her request which is called movies with mummy and oh. we can be found on like spotify and apple it's a micro podcast where we have a very chaotic conversation about whatever film or tv show she picks just before i press record so it's it's very cute it's very you know it's very short and and lighthearted but it's yeah it's something that she enjoys doing oh i love that and i love that like you know there's a you're giving her the sense that her opinion matters straight away you're like no you're absolutely allowed to have a voice here Please, please share your thoughts on whatever TV show or film she's watched. And that's that's incredibly important to have as a especially as a young girl being told your voice matters. Please say your piece. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so the lovely listeners can find the podcast at Fats on Film on Twitter for however long that lasts and Instagram. And then they can find myself at Queen Bee Says on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And I'll see you in the next one. And remember to stay fat. <laughs>